Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Nā mihi nui. I'm Alison Balance, and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. Border biosecurity is a big issue for New Zealand. Even though we're hundreds of kilometres away from our nearest neighbour, and although we do our best to stop unwanted organisms arriving in the country, things do get through, often under their own steam. Then we are left trying to find ways to eradicate or at least control the invader. I'm off to Scion to meet Stephanie Sopo, to find out about efforts to find a biocontrol agent for one such unwanted nuisance, which was first detected in New Zealand in 2013. So we are in Scion's containment facility, inside one of the experimental rooms. So we've passed through five doors to get into this room. So what have we got in this room? So this room is a room we're working on giant willow aphid in. So giant willow aphid is relatively new to New Zealand. It's causing a lot of different problems um, for New Zealanders. And so we're working on a biological control project to try to control this aphid. So tell me a bit more about the problems that it's creating and, and where you find it. Oh, there are a multitude of problems, and we find it everywhere in New Zealand. So, so does it spread really quickly? Yes. It's, once we noticed it in New Zealand, we then very quickly, within a matter of months, found it pretty much throughout the country. Its hosts are willows and poplars. And as you know, willows are very abundant throughout New Zealand, both in urban and rural areas. Um, we've also found it on apple trees and pear trees, so it's, it's been found in orchards and on a few native plants as well, caprosma and potosporum species as well. So why is it a problem? It's a problem in many different ways. So as the aphid feeds, it's taking the sap out of a plant. So this is a stress on the mainly the willow trees. So the aphids are present in very, very large numbers, and they're continuously dripping honeydew out of them so that the plants are losing a lot of nutrients and a lot of water. Uh, we've seen a lot of branch death of willows and even some death of young willow plants that's attributed to giant willow aphid. So willows are important in New Zealand as stabilizers of slopes and um, protecting rivers against flooding and they're also really valuable, certain species in particular, are very valuable for bees in early spring when there's not a lot of other resources around for them to get pollen and nectar and build up their populations. That's the willow side of things. Uh, the honeydew itself also, also causes a lot of problems. So the honeydew is continually being secreted as they feed and it lands on anything below them. So it lands on the rest of the willow tree, it lands on the understory plants, it lands on your car, it lands on your livestock. I've heard it being a problem with <laughs> it landing on sheep and making them incredibly sticky. Yes, it's very sticky. It's, it's like sugar water. 
So it does make things sticky and it also makes things black, and that's because sooty mold grows on the surface of, of things covered with oh, the honeydew. So you have black sticky wool. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure the farmers don't like that at all. No, no. And you can see, um, looking around the landscape, um, you can easily spot infested willows by their black trunks as well. So the sooty mold um, causes problems. It, it will interfere with the photosynthesis because it's coating leaves, and so any understory plants may have trouble photosynthesizing. Um, it's also a problem for kiwi fruit growers. So it's, the sooty mold is something um, that's a problem for export if, you, if you're exporting your fruit. Just wondering, is that honeydew that they produce as attractive to wasps as honeydew in the beech forest is? Yes, and that's one of the largest problems, is that wasps are very attracted to this. As in, It's a new resource in New Zealand, and it's very abundant, and so wasp numbers are really booming because of it. So it's adding to all of the wasp problems that we've already had. So it's a health risk, it's a problem for farmers, it's um, a, a real nuisance problem, and it's also really bad for beekeepers because all of these extra wasps are coming in and robbing hives of honey and killing bees. But another problem is the bees themselves are attracted to the honeydew and they take it back to the hive and they make honey with it. And this honey, if there's enough that comes from the giant willow-aphid honeydew mixed in with the, the other sources, it will become crystalline. And so it, it actually hardens inside the comb and the beekeepers can't extract it. Where does it come from? Uh, we're not sure. We have read some literature suggesting that it's native to Eastern Asia, but it's also been present in California for well over 100 years, and we think that maybe have, it may have sort of a Pacific Rim distribution initially. But now it's found throughout the world, wherever willows are, which is pretty much everywhere. And, in fact, Australasia was almost conspicuously free of, of giant willow aphid until these recent years. And it was found in Australia just shortly after it was found here in New Zealand. No idea how it got here? No, we don't know how it got here, but aphids are able to travel um, quite high on air currents, and so it could have come from anywhere. So you're on the hunt for something to try and control it? Yes. The only natural enemy that's, that's a parasitoid that is known is one called Pauisia. So we actually first considered chemicals. We considered um, systemic injections into trees, and we were, we were quickly um, alerted by concerned beekeepers that this would, this would definitely be a no-go, and absolutely right. Um, anything that we put into a tree that goes into the aphid could easily come out in the honeydew, and, and honeydew feeders, such as bees themselves, um, could pick this up and get poisoned so so that was a no-go and so we looked into um, options for biological control and there are a few things we thought about um, one is um, could there be an entomopathic pathogenic fungus out there that we could use and there has um, overseas been one reported as kind of knocking back the population of giant willow aphid particularly in the autumn when, when it's moist and uh, we looked into that, but the one that was reported wasn't specific to giant willow aphid. And also, it can be problematic working with those types of organisms. You often have to re-inoculate each year. It's not as good at self-sustaining in the environment unless conditions are constantly good for it. So if we had a maybe a particularly dry year, 
for instance, um, maybe we'd have to then re-inoculate the following year. Whereas ideally you want something that will self-sustain. Yes, yeah. Ladybirds also feed on it. And so we've seen some of the ladybirds we have here in New Zealand, some native ones and some exotic ones feeding on it. Uh, We've also seen the newly introduced harlequin ladybird feeding on it, but the harlequin ladybird is um, a pest in its own right, and we don't want to encourage more issues with that. So we're looking at a parasitoid. So parasitoids are always uh, way more highly specific than any predator, and uh, this one that we have found in the literature and and since located, um, we think is only found on giant willow aphid. And so we're now working to test that here in our containment facility. So this was came from California? Yes. So that sounds straightforward, but was it? No, no, it definitely wasn't. Um, we had a, a scouting mission early on just to look for the presence of giant willow aphid to see if we could find it. And we had a second trip. We did import on that second trip some giant willow aphids in the hope that they're containing parasitoids inside them. And we attempted to rear them here, and we didn't get anything out. So we undertook a third trip, and this third trip was successful. And um, one of the ways in which we managed to, to make it a highly targeted trip was to enlist citizen science to help us locate areas with aphids. So one individual in particular, Damon Teague, who's based in Oakland, he's a very, very keen individual, and he helped us really a lot. Um, He found some populations in downtown Oakland that were heavily infested with the parasitoid, and so that was kind of our main focus of this third trip. So you succeeded, you got a whole lot of giant willow aphids which had the parasite inside? Yes. So when an aphid becomes parasitized, at first you don't see anything. The aphid's walking around looking like a normal aphid, um, but it's got a developing larva inside it. And eventually that larva gets so big, it kind of takes over the body of the aphid, and the aphid becomes distorted. It looks very fat and round, and then at that point it's called an aphid mummy. It it stops moving. The parasitoid actually fixes the body of the aphid to another object, usually the host plant. And we were able to find some of these aphid mummies that hadn't yet popped, so to speak. (laughs) and um, bring them back on short sections of willow stem and and tubes inside other containers, inside a chili bin (laughs) on the airplane. (laughs) Into this (laughs) containment facility. Yes, we came directly here after landing in Auckland. So what have we got in the room here? So in this cage here, what you're seeing is um, colonies that are set up to maintain the development of the parasitoid. So we're, we're now in the seventh generation since the import, uh, which was in December 2017. Gosh, and so that's quite a few generations already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're up to about 1,900 individuals reared from an initial uh, population of about 50 wasps that we brought in. However, some of those turned out to be hyperparasitoids, so we've, we've gotten rid of those, parasitoids of the parasitoid, and we had uh, 10 individual female poesia that was our target, and these have all come from them. <laughs> so, so you've got them in a little plastic tent, yeah. and another little plastic tent inside a plastic tent. Yeah. So inside here, we've got... Giant willow aphids on willow stems. They're enormous. They are big for an aphid. They're among the biggest in the world, about six millimeters when they're full size. 
And very dark coloured, aren't they? Yes. And if you look closely, there's a shark's fin on their back, which is a really intriguing feature that we don't know. Oh, we don't yes. know its purpose. <laughs> sharks chew. of the aphid world. Yes. They can lay up to two offspring per day when the temperatures are, are right, say, say early to mid-20s. So the population's build up very, very quickly. So and you've got a stem of willow in there for them to live on and feed yes. on. Yes, And so this is where we would introduce... Um, a parasitoid. The parasitoid female may be mated or unmated, so we would control all that before we release her in the cage. If she's mated, she can produce male and female parasitoids. If she's unmated, she'll only produce males. And the natural sex ratio appears to be biased towards the females, so we are, are actually sometimes looking for males for mating. So sometimes we'll put a an unmated female in there. But an unmated female can still basically lay eggs that hatch and will yep. still kill your aphids for you. Yes. Oh, that's yep. really interesting. Yeah. The aphids themselves are only females. No males have ever been found. So they're parthenogenetic, and they do have a winged generation. You can see in some of the cages, they're wanting to disperse, but there's nowhere to <laughs> so, go. So you're either an aphid with wings or an aphid without wings. Is yes. that how it works? Yeah. And so uh, the parasitoids are released into here and they tend to walk up and down the stem and sting the aphids. The aphids can't do much about it. They do attempt to kick the wasp away by waving their, their hind legs. It's not much of a self-defense strategy, no. though. No, it's not. <laughs> are they parasitizing enough aphids for effective control? It's hard to say at this point. We're still getting a handle on the numbers for, for what a single female wasp, how many progeny she can produce. Um, sometimes we're seeing a small number, uh, maybe only 20 mummies in a cage that, that one female's been in, but up to about 60. So, And their lifespan is generally two to three weeks. Um, under these conditions here, we're at 20 degrees. So you've got this bit of the project going on. You're trying to see how effective the parasitoid is with, with the giant willow aphid. Do you also have another set of work that you need to do to make sure this parasitoid doesn't affect anything else that we don't want it to? Yes. So in New Zealand we have uh, other aphids, of course, about 100 species or a little more of other aphids. A lot of those are introduced species, so not such a concern, but there are a number of native species of aphids. And so we are um, host-testing for specificity with at this moment, we have plans to test five other species of aphids. One of them is a closely related exotic species that we actually have not had any positive hits with, um, but it's the most likely to be parasitized by Pauasia because it's the most closely related. All the other ones um, in New Zealand, including the natives, are very distantly related, so we don't expect there to be any parasitism of them, but we are testing these other species, including two species that could be considered the tuatara of the aphid world. There's some really ancient species. They come from ancient lineages. And others, um, we're basically covering all taxonomic groups. So aphids are um, in what we call a family, and the family is divided into tribes. And so we're testing a representative from all tribes that are of aphids that are represented in New Zealand. Are they hard to find? 
Yes, some of them are very hard to find. Um, some have actually been easy. There's an aphid Neophylaphus totre, which is on totre, and we were able to find that here at Scion on site, um, which is great because we know the history of the host plants. We know they haven't been sprayed with insecticides. Others have proven more difficult. There's one on Nothophagus that we've been having trouble finding, and so it is tricky um, because we're rearing all these different species with different habits, and we don't know much about any of them, and they all have different host plants, and the host plants respond differently to being indoors on a, you know, in a beaker, <laughs> a cut stem. So it's been challenging, yes. So you're learning a lot about some of our nat- native aphids along the way. Yes. So what happens next? Well, we have a lot of host testing to do. We have completed testing on one species, and we have two others underway at the moment. It takes about a month to complete a single replicate, so we've, we've got a few going at all times, and we're hoping to finish up late next summer. And after that, if all has gone well, the results are favorable, then we will be applying to the EPA for permission to release and doing a lot of public engagement. Thanks, Stephanie. That was Stephanie Sopo from Scion. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ on the 29th of November, 2018. Our online home is rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. You'll find all our stories there, along with written features and useful links. While you're there, why not subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, which tells you what's on the show. It's free and it's short. Another thing you can do on the website is easily subscribe to us as a podcast. Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower is a new RNZ podcast with comedian James Nakisi. He chats with Kiwi celebrities on issues around mental health. It's funny, honest and thought-provoking. It's easy to stay in touch with us. We are on Facebook and Twitter at RNZ Science. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Kia pai tora. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.